0: Mature Themes, Corruption and Mind Alteration, Exorcism, Physical Abuse of Children by Parents and Religious Authorities, and References to Demonic Possession, Group Sex, and Sexual Abuse. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corfid Press. This is episode 254. Greetings, listeners. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now... Let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 28 in my Metamore City erotic fantasy, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, John was teaching Chase how to be an incubus, with some help from Kate and Emily. They were interrupted by the arrival of Janet Vickers, the skyball captain for the Littlefield Ravens, and the woman Chase nearly killed when he first transformed. John and Chase sat down with Janet to sort out what had happened. She couldn't remember everything, but she remembered having sex with Chase, and the experience had been an immensely pleasurable one. When she woke up in the hospital, though, her father had gotten into her phone. He had seen all the text messages from Janet's friends about the events of that night, including the rumors that Chase had been seen changing into a demon. The Vickers family are members of the Redeemers, an extremist follower sect that believes that all outsiders must be banished or killed. Janet's father was furious with her for going to a pit of wickedness and depravity, and he ordered her not to contact anyone who had been at the party. Earlier tonight, Janet was able to sneak into her father's bedroom and steal back her phone while he was asleep. She saw all the messages that her friends had sent her, including the ones from Chase. She decided that she needed to know the truth about what had happened to her, so she went to the address where Chase had told her he was staying. Chase was relieved to know that Janet wasn't angry with him for what happened, and Janet was relieved to know that Chase was okay. But John was deeply worried when he realized what religion Janet's family belonged to, and what it might mean for Janet that she had disobeyed her father's orders. He urged her not to stay with people who made her feel unsafe. Unfortunately, Janet didn't feel like she had a lot of options. Her mother was banished from the congregation years ago, supposedly because she had refused to repent of her sins. Janet doesn't even know if she's still alive, or if she has any other relatives who might be willing to take Janet in. Janet tried to minimize her situation, saying that her father was all talk, and she just needed to get through the rest of the school year before she could leave for uni. John urged her to get in touch with Sam and Lisa if she changed her mind. As Janet pulled away, John heard the sound of another ground car starting further up the block. As John hid in the shadows and watched... He saw the other car approach Sam and Lisa's house. There were four large men inside, and one of them was talking on a cell phone. Then they turned down the street where Janet had gone, leaving their headlights off. Janet was being followed. John hurried back inside, where he filled in Kate and the others. Because Janet had sex with someone the Redeemers consider a demon, she will be seen as tainted, corrupted by evil they will think it necessary to purge her of this corruption in order to preserve the honor of their family. And given the Redeemer's extreme theology, they will probably be willing to hurt Janet in order to do it. Leaving Emily and Chase in the house with the alarm active, Kate and John set out to rescue Janet. Homecoming a Tale of Metamore City, written in red by Chris Lester. Chapter Twenty-Eight. Inside the skimmer, John and Kate quickly fastened their restraint harnesses. The impression of a ticking clock loomed loud in John's mind but how much time might be left on that clock, he could not guess. Kate punched in Janet's address on the nav computer, while John slipped on the control headset and activated the head-up display. Normally he preferred old-fashioned analog controls, but for what he was planning, he would need the faster reaction time of the direct neural interface. What are the regs out here for off-roading? he asked Kate. Kate's eyelids fluttered briefly as she consulted her eidetic memory. Cruising floor's at 350, ceiling's at 1,000. Max speed is 250 at cruise, 50 below the floor. Transponder's on. There's some more, but they boil down to don't be an idiot. Copy that, John said. He flipped the switch to activate the skimmer's radio transponder, which would broadcast his location and vehicle identification number to law enforcement and air traffic controllers in the area. Cranking the electric motor to the red line, he looked up through the glass overhead and did one more check for tree branches and power lines. Then he released the parking brake. The drive turbines engaged with a roar, and the little craft leapt into the sky. Janet and her pursuers had a substantial lead on John, but their ground cars were restricted by traffic lights, posted speed limits, and roads that didn't go in a straight line toward their destination. By going aerial, John could bypass all those inconveniences. He'd never dream of doing this in the city, of course. Point-to-point air travel was heavily restricted in Metamore, and penalties for illicit off-roading were severe. In provinces like Alamar, few people even had skimmers, so the government could afford to be more hands-off. John turned in the direction of Janet's house, and as soon as the skimmer had passed above 350 meters, he angled the turbines for maximum forward thrust. The streetlights and houses began rushing by at a rapid clip, and within seconds they had left Bridger Heights behind. The lights of Ellentown glowed orange and yellow in the distance, occasionally interrupted by the slow, red pulse of light from a water tower. Once their course was laid in, Kate pulled out her phone and started trying to reach her parents. It was well after midnight, though, and her calls went straight to voicemail. After the third try, she gave up and left a brief message explaining the situation, then rang off with an irritated jab of one finger. Figures, she muttered. Mom always said that if anything woke her up at night, she had a hell of a time getting back to sleep. She gave him a quick, worried glance. Should I try Chase's parents? Er, no, John said. We're trying to reduce the risk of hasty, emotional decision-making. Judging by her performance at the Lightbringer station, that is not Margaret's strong suit. Fair point. Do you have a game plan for when we get there, or are you making this up as we go? I don't know exactly what we're dealing with, John said. Do you have everything you need for a veil? Kate double-checked the pockets on her reagent belt. Yep. Want me to take point while you watch my back? Works for me. They felt silent for a long moment, the only noise, the whir of the turbines, and the rush of the air outside. John kept one eye on the controls and the other on the nav computer, which helpfully calculated the best time to begin their descent. Three more minutes. John, Kate said hesitantly. You know I'm still not okay, right? Okay? Kate gestured vaguely. In a fight. I still have PTSD. I'm with you on this, and I'll help however I can, but if somebody pulls a gun, I might freeze up, and I won't know for sure until it happens. She lowered her head. Which fucking sucks. John reached over and took her hand. I understand. If we see anything like that, we'll call the cops and let them deal with it, okay? Kate squeezed his hand, nodded slightly. Okay. The nav computer signaled John to descend, and he followed the recommended flight path that traced itself out on his head-up display. He looked down and caught sight of Janet's car, parked in the driveway of a house much newer and fancier than Sam and Lisa's. The brown sedan was parked crosswise behind it, blocking it in. There was no sign of anyone in either vehicle, but light was coming from the basement windows on one side of the house. There were no other signs of activity in the house or any of the neighboring buildings. John set down the skimmer half a block down the street, keeping the turbines at low power and floating gently and quietly down to earth. From there, he turned off the skimmer's headlights and crept forward until they were only a few meters behind the sedan. Kate drew out her Arthana, signaled John to wait, and hopped out of the vehicle she pulled a pinch of something out of her reagent belt, gestured with the dagger, and vanished. John waited anxiously for nearly five minutes. Kate's veil was good enough that John could only see a faint ripple of distortion when she moved, even with the benefits of dark vision. Since he couldn't see where she was, he swept his gaze back and forth in front of the house, looking for any possible sign of trouble. He jumped and bit back a curse when the door opened again, seemingly of its own volition, and Kate materialized in the passenger seat. What are we looking at? he asked. See for yourself. Kate raised one hand, which was holding her phone. John saw that it was in video recorder mode. He pushed the button for playback. Kate had shot the video from one of the basement windows. In the bare concrete room below, he saw Janet seated on a wooden chair, with five men standing around her in a semicircle, They had stripped her down to her plain white t-shirt and panties, and her arms and legs were tied to the chair with some kind of rough, scratchy-looking rope. The chair stood in the center of a plastic kiddie pool half-filled with water, and judging from the way Janet's shirt clung to her body, at least some of that water had been poured over her. She sat listlessly, her head hung low. Her body shivering visibly, while the men moved around her and tried to purge the corruption from her soul. The five men were of varying ages and ethnicities. John could see one heavy-set, dark-skinned man with short, tightly curled gray hair, whom he took to be Janet's father. There was another older man and a lean young man, both fair-skinned Kitchlanders, a dusky-skinned man of middle age probably a Songafilder or a Pyralian, and another man of Arambian heritage, whose back was turned to the camera, and whose age John couldn't guess. They all had religious implements of one sort or another. Two canticles of Eli, a large wooden yew-tree crucifix, candles, and a bottle of what John took to be anointing oil or holy water. The older Kitchlander was reading scripture, gesticulating passionately with his free hand as he did so. The others had their heads bowed in prayer, except for Janet's father, who was clutching a candle tightly in one fist, staring at his daughter with an apparent mixture of suppressed rage and grief. Are they... trying to do an exorcism on her? John asked. Looks that way, Kate said. John shook his head slightly. There are so many things wrong with that, I don't know where to start. They don't even have a magic circle. Don't get me started, Keats sighed. Not that it's surprising. They think magic is evil, and science is evil, and the big churches are evil, so they've got nothing to go on but their own interpretation of scripture and the word of a few televangelists. Of course they have no idea what they're doing. Slowly, a grin spread across John's face. You're right, he said, and we can use that. After a few minutes of online research and one of Kate's illusion spells, John's plan was as ready as it could get. With his disguise in place, he strode up to the door of the house and pressed the doorbell. It took a few tries before Mr. Vickers answered, peering suspiciously out through a narrowly cracked door. "'Can I help you?' the man asked. His dark eyes scanned John up and down, taking in John's impeccable dark gray suit— his tanned and weathered skin, his salt-and-pepper hair, and his gleaming million-mark smile. I truly do hope so, my friend, John said, bowing in greeting. He spoke quickly and smoothly, in the manner of a used ground-car salesman, with the soft and homey accent of the central provinces. My name is Michael Tannily, apostle of our Lord Yahshua the Redeemer, I was just passing through your lovely town on my way to Merigand when a word of prophecy came to me. The Lord said, Michael, there is a child of mine in this town who is bound in darkness, and I command you to free her from the powers of hell. Well, sir, I do not know this town or its people, but I believe the word of the Lord does not return void, and I have resolved to go house to house until I find this poor child and set her free. Vicar's eyes had gone wide during John's speech, perhaps because of his words, and perhaps because he finally recognized the face and name of the Redeemer Evangelist that John was impersonating. He clapped his hand over his heart and turned his eyes skyward with a whispered prayer. The Lord has sent you to the right place, Brother Michael, he said, his voice quavering with emotion. He opened the door wide. Please come in. John stepped over the threshold, paused in the doorway, and lifted his hands, palms upward. He lowered his head and cocked it slightly to one side, as if trying to make out a faint voice. A soft breeze blew through the doorway, ruffling his perfectly styled hair. "'The spirit of Eli has come here with me,' he intoned, in his best priestly delivery. "'You feel his touch like the wind through the trees, do you not?' Let us welcome him in to do his healing work in this place. Say it with me. Be welcome, O Spirit. Vickers closed his eyes and bowed his head. Be welcome, O Spirit. There was another gust of wind, stronger now, and John felt Kate slip past him through the door. Thanks to Vickers's invitation, her magic was unaffected by the house's threshold, and she ghosted into the room with her veil intact. John followed the ripple of motion as she took up a spot in the living room behind Vickers, in the shadows and against a wall, where her camouflage would be most effective. As soon as she stopped moving, she became practically invisible. The spirit is here with us indeed, John announced, and stepped the rest of the way into the foyer. Vickers closed and locked the door behind him. Tell me, good sir, what is your name? Vickers bowed. I am Thaddeus Vickers, Brother Michael. It's an honor to meet you. I've read your books. Well, praise the Lord, John said, offering his hand. I should have known the Spirit would send me to a fellow Redeemer. Vickers shook John's hand warmly. Yes, brother, you have truly come in our hour of need. The child the Lord told you about is my daughter, Janet. I must confess I had nearly despaired for her. John clapped a hand on Vickers' shoulder. Well, take heart, Brother Thaddeus, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Take me to your daughter, good man. Vickers led the way down into the basement. The wooden stairs creaked under their weight, and John let his feet fall a little heavier than was strictly necessary, which provided cover for the sound of Kate following lightly behind him. They passed an elevated crawl space that held the furnace and air-conditioner, Went around a tight corner, and then entered the open floor of the basement proper. The sight of Janet in the half-assed exorcism was even more disturbing in person than it had been on camera. Janet glared up at her father, humiliated and furious, her body visibly shaking, though whether that was from rage or the cold or both, John wasn't sure. Vickers did not even look at her, turning his attention entirely to the other four men. Eli has heard our prayers, Vickers announced, spreading his hands to gesture at John behind him. He has sent his great apostle, Brother Michael, to deliver my dear Janet from the adversary's power. The men's reactions varied. The younger Kitchlander seemed awestruck, as if a rock star had just shown up unexpectedly. The oldest man looked thoughtful, puzzled, and perhaps a little suspicious, though not enough to say anything about it. The Songafielder pressed his palms together and looked up at the ceiling, whispering a prayer of thanks. The Arambian, whom John could now see was older than Vickers and bore a distinct family resemblance, just gave a nod of grim satisfaction, the corner of his lip twitching upward in an expression too stiff to be called a smile. Great, Janet muttered, shaking her head in disgust. Peace be with you, my brothers, John said. "'raising his hands in benediction. "'I come here at the Spirit's leading. "'Together we will free dear Janet from the chains that bind her. "'Hallelujah!' "'Hallelujah!' the others echoed. "'John gestured to the men. "'Brothers, join hands behind me "'and ask the Spirit to fill this place with his power. "'For this deliverance to succeed, "'I need the protective covering of your prayers.' "'Vickers took the lead in obeying.' reaching out to take the hands of the men to either side of him. The others quickly did likewise, and soon the room was filled with the sound of their muttered and overlapping prayers. With the men thus preoccupied, John knelt in front of Janet, craning his neck down to catch her eye. She glared hatefully back at him. "'Enjoying the show, pervert?' she whispered. John pitched his own voice low. "'Not at all, Miss Vickers.' It gives me no pleasure to see someone trapped in a pit of wickedness and depravity. He deliberately echoed the words she had spoken to him earlier. As he'd hoped, her eyes widened in surprise, but then they narrowed to suspicious slits. Well, that was fair enough. An actual Redeemer might have used the same words, purely by coincidence. I have come here to bring you true freedom, my dear, John said quietly. FREEDOM FROM THAT WHICH HAS HELD YOU CAPTIVE FOR FAR TOO LONG. His eyes fell meaningfully down to the rope that bound her hands and feet. When he looked back up at her, he let the true color of his eyes come out, turning them from brown to amber. Do you wish to be free, Miss Vickers? Now she got it. Her eyes went wide again, and her mouth rounded into an O of shock. Then her expression changed slightly the tiniest glimmer of hope. Yes, she whispered, her voice trembling. John gave her a small, knowing nod. Then that demon's gonna have to come out of you now. He winked. It could be quite a struggle. This kind doesn't go easy. Do you understand? Hesitantly, Janet licked her lips, swallowed, and nodded. Do what you have to do, she murmured. Remember, we aren't alone, John said. The Spirit is on our side. He will help us. Follow his leading. You won't see him, but like the wind, you'll know he's there. Janet looked more puzzled at this, but she nodded again. Okay. John rose, bowed his head, and spread his hands out to either side. Holy Spirit, let your light come, he announced. Let it burn away the darkness! Somewhere in a shadowed corner of the basement, Kate raised her Arthana and cast a spell. A ball of brilliant light sprang into being over Janet's head. The glare shone at just the right height to dazzle the men behind John, while he kept his own eyes squeezed tightly shut. The Redeemers let out gasps and cries of alarm at this sudden demonstration of power. Now hear me, you devil! "'John thundered. "'You creature of lust and temptation! "'I see you coiled up inside of our sister, Janet. "'I see your hatred for these godly men and their righteous ways. "'And I tell you in the name of Eli Almighty, "'you have no place in this house! "'Come out of her!' "'Never!' Janet shrieked, "'her face twisted up in a mask of rage. "'She thrashed and bucked against her chair.' her braids whipping wildly around her. John was impressed. Good acting, kid. You have no place here, demon, he said again. Janet let out a mocking laugh, worthy of a comic book supervillain. When she spoke, her voice was contorted with demonic malice, or at least a respectable imitation of it. Don't I? This house is full of hypocrites! She glared at each of the men in turn, moving her head in quick reptilian twitches back and forth. Look at them all, staring at this teenage girl who they stripped to her underwear and tied to a chair. Your hearts are full of lust. She thrust out her chest at them, the nipples clearly visible against the thin, wet fabric. Even you, father, you think she hasn't noticed the way you look at her? Your own daughter? Her head whipped around to the older Kitchlander. Or you, Pastor Ronald. I know what you did with the girls on that mission trip. She extended her tongue, curling it lewdly in front of her. In his peripheral vision, John saw the older man take a step backward in shock. It lies, the man protested. Janet sneered. You sick little men. You think I don't belong here? Your souls belong to hell, and you don't even know it. Enough, John snapped. He thrust out a hand at Janet, his fingers curled like claws. Her head whipped back as if struck. Nice touch, Janet. We'll hear no more of your lies, devil. It's time for you to go. He stepped up, and gently but firmly, he took her head in both of his hands. Come out of her! In Yahshua's name, come out! No! Janet wailed, thrashing around in John's grip. At the same time, John called up his essence, channeling it out through his outstretched hands. Red smoke and inky darkness poured out all over Janet, spilling out across the floor and rolling out in all directions. From the perspective of the men behind him, it must have looked like the smoke was coming out of Janet's own head. "'Lord, save us!' one of the men cried. The Songefilder, John guessed, though he hadn't heard enough of their voices, to be sure. Several of the others muttered similar prayers, and John thought he heard a strangled curse or two in the mix as well. "'The demon is leaving her!' John declared in a triumphant tone, Do not fear, my brothers! The Lord has brought her deliverance! He kept pouring out the essence, letting the red smoke fill the room. More essence washed over him from somewhere in the corner of the room, so apparently Kate was releasing hers as well, making the effect even more spectacular. The essence had no effect on Janet this time. Her aura was completely closed off her anger and humiliation leaving her immune to any thoughts of sexual pleasure. John had expected that, and it was central to his plan. Give the men a spectacle, let them see the demon leaving her, and that should be enough to convince them that Janet was cleansed. But he had not anticipated its effect on the men themselves. He had expected that this group of religious extremists, with their fear and hatred of anything worldly, Would be just as closed off as Janet. The essence would recoil off their auras, and that would be that. But that didn't happen. As Janet herself had predicted, the men's hearts were full of lust. Suspira's essence flowed over them and through them, penetrating their auras as easily as it had the students at the house party. As its power touched them, that lust was amplified, stripping away their self restraint and their inhibitions. They began to groan like animals in rutting season, tearing at their clothes, frantically unzipping their pants to grasp at their painfully hard erections. One by one they fell to the floor, on their knees and on their backs, writhing in the throes of desire turned to madness. Suspirus tits, John thought in wonder. These men aren't sex-hating ascetics. They're just so afraid of their own desires that they have no idea how to process them. Janet's accusations about her father and the pastor made a lot more sense now. And that suggested a different way out of this mess than John had originally planned on. "'Oh, Holy Spirit!' he cried, turning in the direction where he thought Kate was hiding. "'Let your light expose every trace of this demon! Let no part of its power remain hidden!' As he had hoped, Kate got the message. The essence poured out of her in a flood, filling the basement with a churning cloud of smoke and shadows. John increased the flow of his own power as well, until the whole room was filled with a thick red and black haze. Released from John and Kate's control, the clouds of essence began to swirl and churn of their own volition, the power of Suspira following its own primal instincts to take and give pleasure, to rut, to fuck. John could feel that wild essence pulling on him, trying to draw out even more of his power. With a fierce effort of will, he closed his aura, cutting off the flow. But he could still feel it clawing at him, trying to pry him open and turn him inside out. The wild essence spun through the room in a vortex, moving faster and faster Driven by the sexual energy it was stirring up in the men on the floor. Men who now reached out mindlessly for the closest willing flesh to sate its hunger. Men who put hands and mouths and cocks to use in ways they might previously have only dreamed of in their most private fantasies. For now, gender was incidental. Orientation was irrelevant. The lust storm didn't care about such mortal concerns. All that mattered was flesh and need, and the many ways the one could be used to service the other. The groans and cries of the men joined the howl of the wind, until one was indistinguishable from the other. The mage-light winked out, leaving John and Janet in darkness. Under the cover of the smoke and shadow, Kate materialized behind Janet's chair, where she quickly cut the girls' bonds with her Arthana. John helped Janet to her feet. She was a little wobbly, and he guessed that her arms and legs may have fallen asleep from the men's shoddy rope work. She put one arm around his shoulder and the other around Kate's, and together they felt their way through the lust storm until they found the stairs. The air cleared as they reached the ground floor, and together they raced for the skimmer. "'I apologize for the tight squeeze,' John said." as he and Kate helped Janet climb into the ridiculously tiny back seat. She was tall enough that she had to turn sideways and put her feet up on the seat next to her. I'll live, Janet said. Just get me out of here. Can do. John slid the driver's seat back into place, then turned to Kate. She was back to her usual human form again. Evidently, she had released all of the essence she had been holding to make the lust storm. Her cheeks were flushed, and she was breathing hard. Did you get it? He asked. In answer, she held up her phone with a triumphant grin. The video of the phony exorcism played out on the screen, including Janet's explosive allegations toward the pastor. Perfect. Let's get the hell out of here. Janet let out a choked, half-hysterical giggle. She pointed back at the house, where the smoke of Suspira's essence was starting to seep out under the front door. I think the hell is staying here for a while, she said. And that's the end of Chapter 28. Come back next time when our heroes help Janet get to safety and deal with the aftermath of her rescue. Lynette Mather said, When a character comes to life, it's like meeting a new friend for the first time. So, let's see what friends I've made this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of September 12th through September 18th. I wrote 2,103 words this week, over the course of 2.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 765 words per hour. As of Friday night, I have gone 154 days without breaking my chain. All of my creative time this week was focused on the podcast, preparing and recording upcoming episodes. Now that I'm in the home stretch of recording Homecoming, I want to get the last few chapters finished and submitted to Audible so it can go on sale for the holiday season. It's also been kind of a hard week, both emotionally and at work. I'm recording this on Saturday, September 19th, and I'm hoping I can use this weekend to get back into a rhythm on Honor Bound. Wish me luck! If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is Facebook.com slash Author Chris Lester, the fan group is Fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi! If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020